Das, son of Xerxes, and Meds by descendant, he was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favour of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Well, have you all got uh, Daniel 9 open in front of you? Uh, Let me pray. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds Help us to learn from you tonight, we pray. And we ask that you would help us in our praying. Help us to confess in a way which honors you, we pray. Would this part of your word tonight help us do that? Amen. I don't know if we've got any fans of vampire romance in. Um, I'm not a great fan myself, has to be said. Uh, But you'll know these two people know that uh, Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson. Um, and they were the, the kind of glamour couple in Hollywood for a while. They were going out after the films had been made. Uh, and while they were going out, it came to light that Kristen 
had slept with the director of another film that she was making at the time. She confessed to the affair after pictures surfaced online uh, of the two kissing. And in an emotional public statement, she said this, This momentary indiscretion has jeopardized the most important thing in my life. The person I love and respect the most, Rob. I love him. I love him. I am so sorry. Uh, Well, the couple didn't last too long after that. And the director, he also released a statement apologizing for his actions. I am utterly distraught, he said, about the pain I have caused my family. My beautiful wife and heavenly children are all I have in this world, he wrote. Sadly, his marriage didn't last after that event either. Celebrity scandal, that often comes up in the media, doesn't it? Um, I'm sure you can all think of uh, people that are famous that have had to come forward and make public apologies. Uh, But so often the apologies are pretty poor. Uh, For many people, confessing something is really just the simple idea of handing over a soppy teddy and they think, job done. That's my sorry. Uh, But there are all sorts of of confessions, sorry, apologies rather, that people pass off as kinds of confessions. So there's the, the if confession. If I've hurt anyone or offended anyone by my comments, I apologize. Or there's the the sorry for the results kind of confession. I regret I have given people reason to doubt my character. I apologize for the difficulty I caused the university. This has been very embarrassing for me and my family. And for that, I am sorry. Or there's the, the technical or the legal confession. I would like the record to show that I believe my words were inappropriate and I can see how they could be construed as offensive. There's the avoid responsibility confession. Growing up without a father, I never learned to be a man. Because of the pressures in my life and the high standard I set myself, I've not always been able to live up to that high standard. It's complicated, but I genuinely wish it had never happened. You might say, genuinely wish I'd never been found out. And then there's the I'm in process confession. I've learned much from this whole ordeal. I know myself much better, and my family is learning to be a family again. This unfortunate incident will serve to make us all better people. Or there's the the move on confession. There are many things I could say to address the allegations, but the important thing is to put all this behind us now and move on together. Now, it's easy to spot the fakeness of a confession like one of those in the full glare of the media spotlight. But maybe it's not so easy to spot a confession like that when you use it with your wife or your husband, um, although they will spot it. But none of those various examples of so-called confessions are what the Bible calls a confession. And what we have here in front of us in Daniel 9 is, to my mind, one of the clearest examples of a prayer of confession that we have. Maybe this, uh, along with Psalm 51. And we're told here that Daniel reads from uh, Jeremiah. That's a a good principle, isn't it? Uh, The Bible informing our prayers. Good practice, that. And he reads in Jeremiah that the exile that he is currently undergoing, uh, along with the rest of God's people, will last for 70 years. Time is almost up for the exile. Daniel's an old man by now. And so this thought of God ending the exile sometime soon moves Daniel to confess his sin and the people's sin. And we're going to look at his confession here, his prayer, 
under five headings, which I I hope um, will help us in our confession too. So the first heading is the need for confession, the need for confession. It should be pretty obvious if we've read much of our Bibles that confession is necessary. There was a sacrificial uh, system in the Old Testament. There are psalms of confession. There's the Lord's Prayer. There's 1 John. Uh, If we know our Bibles at all, then uh, we know that confession is part and parcel of our walk with God. But why is that? Why do we confess? I'm right with God, aren't I? Isn't that what Jesus has achieved for me on the cross? Doesn't God look at me as he looks at Jesus, spotless, without blemish? Why do I have to confess sins? Well, a number of reasons uh, come to mind. One is that it restores our relationship with God. It's a bit like uh, a child with a parent, maybe, or a, a husband with a wife, or a boyfriend with a girlfriend. If we've offended and wronged somebody else, then confessing that wrong bridges uh, that relationship breach that has happened. It restores relationships. It's good, isn't it, to, to confess our sin to one another. That mends broken relationships for us, and it uh, cements that relationship we have with God. I think we also need to confess to show that we've, we've learned from the discipline that God has given us. So that's what Daniel is doing in his prayer here, predominantly. Uh, the people have been disciplined by being in exile. And Daniel confesses the sin of the people, understanding why that judgment had fallen upon them. It helps us to understand why we may have been spiritually grounded, as it were. Uh, confessing our sin provides a clean conscience. Many of us live with a burden of guilt because we don't bring our sins to God. We can perversely even think that it's wrong to bring some new sin to God because it it makes light of the work of Jesus on the cross. But the opposite is true. We're we're not supposed to walk around being miserable beings, uh, bearing the burden of our sin. Jesus bore the burden on the cross so that we don't have to. And we pass that burden on to him through confession. Christians of all people should be able to lay their heads on their pillows at night with a clean conscience. Uh, We need to confess corporately too. We pray to our Father in heaven. There are some things that we're guilty of together, as in Daniel's prayer here. And when we confess our sins together at church, there is something very leveling about it. Uh, The company director, the the single mother, the teacher, the new baby Christian, the person who's just lost their job, the reformed addict, the mechanic, the grieving widow, all together bowing before God in our hearts and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. There's an equality in that, isn't there? A beautiful equality that sets us all on the same level before our great and gracious God. All of us recognizing together that we're in need of God's grace. Now we probably ought to note here that we don't need to confess because it somehow makes us more right with God. So for example, some people think that as long as we've said confession before communion, well then it's okay. Now I'm right with God, I can eat the bread and drink the wine. 
I guess that comes from us often thinking of our lives being like a clean slate that Jesus has washed away, and then we can etch more sin on the slate that needs to be washed away before it's gone and before we're right with God. But actually, when God looks at us, he sees us as forgiven children. He sees us as he sees Jesus. And so we don't have to constantly wipe the slate clean throughout confession, such that if we died before we'd washed that slate again with confession, we wouldn't be in heaven. Now, as a Christian, you're already right with God. There may be things that you need to confess uh, that mean it would be hypocritical to share the Lord's Supper. You may have an unresolved issue with a fellow Christian uh, that you need to confess and sort out. But your confession won't make you more right with God. I guess what I'm saying is that we, we don't confess to make up something that is lacking in the cross. But we do need to confess to acknowledge the sin in our life before a holy God. It's a, a loving thing to do in one sense, isn't it? To recognize that he is holy and we are not. There's the need for confession. There's also the focus of confession. Uh, there has to be a God focus Working? Has it changed? There we go. There has to be a, a God focus in our confession. It's not just about catharsis, making ourselves feel better. Uh, like this, maybe this art installation that was in London uh, earlier this year. There were a series of booths that looked somewhat like confessionals. And it said, uh, it says, confess your sin, or write a confession, I think is what it says. Um, and you go into the booth and you write a confession on a piece of parchment and then you take that confession and you pin it up on a wall outside and people come along and they read your confession. I guess that's a way of confessing to no one but just getting it out there, getting it off your chest. We don't do that as Christians. We don't confess our sins just to get things off our chests and, and feel better about ourselves. No, a true prayer of confession will actually make us feel better about God. It's much more about him than it is about us. Even though, though there are, of course, benefits for us, like a, a clear conscience we've already mentioned. But confession is not about offloading and getting stuff off our chest. Confession is always personal and relational. It always involves us and God together. Because ultimately all sin is obviously an offence against him. We've offended God. And that's why Daniel begins, as he does in verse 4, by focusing on God. He first recognises that God is to be feared. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God. This is a God to be feared. We're not confessing our failure to live up to our own standards. That's not the problem. The problem is our failure to live up to a holy God's standards. We have crossed him by our sin, and there is justice in his anger towards us. Daniel goes on in verse 4 to say that this God is to be trusted. He's a God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. You see, there's a lot of gospel underpinning this confession of sin. When you come to God in confession, you're not just confessing your sin, but you're confessing implicitly your belief that God can help you. Just saying sin out loud 
and owning up to it or just writing it on a piece of parchment and sticking it up on a wall, well, it may well have a therapeutic effect on us. We may well feel a whole lot better because it's now out there. I think that's often the attitude behind, behind the saying, confession is good for the soul. It makes you feel better. It's not going to help me avoid sin in the future if I just blurt it out and get it off my chest. But I can make myself better by confessing in that kind of way. But if, as I confess my sin to God, I first of all acknowledge who I have offended and just what he is like, then that larger view of God will help help me to see my sin as the horror that it really is and to see Jesus as the gracious saviour that he really is. A God-exalting, God-focused confession is good for the soul because it reminds me of the gospel every time I confess. He proves himself faithful to his promises as we confess our sin. Oh, there's the need for confession, there's the focus of confession, there's the, the humility of confession too. You can see that in, in verse 3, first of all, in his uh, emotional attitude there. He's wearing sackcloth and, and ashes, sign of remorse and repentance. And in verse 7, he goes beyond just emotion as he confesses full responsibility. Lord, you are righteous. But this day we are covered with shame. We're getting what we deserve, he says to God. Have you come across people who are maybe reaping the whirlwind because of their sin? Their relationships are melting down, their their work is in disarray, the tapestry of their whole life is dangerously fraying, and yet they won't admit that they are the problem. Daniel says, Lord, everything you have done to us, we deserve. Everything. God, you're not to blame. We are. God had promised this would happen. He'd said their sin would lead to the destruction of Jerusalem and their exile, and that is exactly what happened. They deserved the judgment that came. Now, I don't want us to leave here tonight under the misapprehension that everything bad that happens to us is a direct result of our sin. You only have to read the book of Job to see that that isn't true. But I fear that we can too quickly jump in the midst of our suffering to either the the anger of, why me, O Lord? Or to the calm acceptance, maybe, of the consequences of living in a fallen world as we seek to discern maybe what God is teaching us through uh, the difficulty that we're going through without at any point having considered whether some sin in our life may be inviting the judgment of God. Sometimes, sometimes we face problems because of our sin. And we need humility like Daniel's to at least consider that it could just be that we are the direct cause of our current problems. And no one else can do that for you. We can't point the finger at somebody else and say, oh yeah, they're suffering because of their sin. But each of us can examine our own hearts humbly before our God in prayer and see whether there is maybe something in us that is uh, 
contributing towards the problems that we face. Now Daniel had read the clear promises of God and he knew that the problems his people had faced, God had said they would face if they failed to turn back to him. God said it would happen. He, he warned his people, but his people didn't care. You did it and you were right to do it, says Daniel. It is real humility here on his part. Now so often we want to confess sin in a way that, that really saves face for us or in a way that subtly shifts the blame somewhere else. But ultimately, it's not our upbringing or surroundings. It's not our our difficult marriage that's to blame. It's not the time pressures we face or the friends we keep. Ultimately, you have to say sometimes maybe I am to blame. Maybe I'm responsible. Maybe I've made my life difficult. Maybe it's me that's alienated my family. The reason this marriage is so painful might have more to do with me than it does do with my husband or wife. I've been a pain to live with. Have you ever admitted that? Have you ever looked at your life and and seen the hardships that you face and admitted that the worst hardships you have are to do with your sin? That is a good deal of humility, doesn't it? And discernment. Now Daniel recognises that their mess is their mess. Do we recognise that? We may have uh, difficult stuff in our lives. What makes uh, so much of our life difficult is our fear, our lack of trust, our disobedience, our people-pleasing. What is it that makes our relationships difficult? It's the way we twist the truth and we talk behind people's backs. The way we can't handle criticism and so everyone else is walking around us on eggshells. And if they say anything remotely critical, then we throw a self-pity party. It's our responses that are so often sinful, and we need to take control of them and, and humbly admit and confess our sin to our God. He's the one we approach, and before whom we are humble. There's also uh, the language of confession that we see here in, in Daniel's prayer. With a longer arm for this, I think. It's going to work. Go, there you go. Uh, so what, uh, what had they done wrong in Israel? Well, verse 11 tells us, All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Now, is that how you talk about your sin? Or, or do you try and fudge it? Do you try to fit God's word to, to your preferences? Or are you as clear as Daniel here is with God in prayer? It is hard to be so honest with ourselves. And we we see it so obviously in our children. Son, what did you do? I bit my sister. What were you supposed to do? And and you see the realisation dawn on their face as they realise, oh yeah, there were rules that I've broken. And then they say, yeah, yeah, but she started shoving me. And she looked at me. And the excuses just tumble out, don't they? Because they won't just say, I disobeyed. I disobeyed. And we we can be like that with God. Just hang on a second, God. You didn't see what happened. How perverse that sounds. You didn't see what happened. I was just filling the blank. Sin is disobedience. 
in verse 11. And it's not listening to God too in verse 6. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Now the role of parents and pastors, elders, bishops, is to warn people of the consequences of their disobedience. It's all we can do, and it's up to others whether they will listen. Now when people are really messing up, it's almost always the case that they've stopped listening to people. Now we should sit up and take notice. If we've got people telling us things, and we think that everyone else is wrong, but not me. Not listening is a very dangerous place to be. Daniel says to God, you gave us lots of opportunities, God. You kept on warning us. You kept talking to us. And yet, we didn't listen and we did not turn. Verse 13, just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. Do you notice the language that, uh, that Daniel's using here? We didn't hear words like indiscretion, mistake, inappropriate, imperfection. We didn't hear phrases like error of judgment or my decision lacked wisdom or I probably could have done better. And instead we hear sinned, done wrong acted wickedly, rebelled, turned aside, treachery, transgressed, refused to obey, shame, iniquity. Now why do we prefer to use the former set of words? I think it's because they're they're passive words and phrases. They help us to speak about ourselves as victims. You know, lust really got the better of me this week. That kind of thing. Now, C.S. Lewis writes about the use of the phrase miserable offenders, which you may be familiar with if you uh, have been at services that use the, uh, the old Book of Common Prayer. Miserable offenders. It sounds a bit, uh, well, sounds a bit horrid, doesn't it, to our modern sensibilities. Uh, but the reformers thought it was a good phrase to use, and C.S. Lewis agreed with them. He says, he says this in an essay about that, uh, that phrase. It is essential to use the plain, simple, old-fashioned words that you would use about anyone else. I mean words like theft or fornication or hatred. Instead of, I did not mean to be dishonest or I was only a boy then or I lost my temper. I think that this steady facing of of what one does know and bringing it before God without excuses and seriously asking for forgiveness and grace and resolving as far as in one lies to do better is the only way in which we can ever begin to know the fatal thing which is always there by which he means sin and preventing us from becoming perfectly just to our wife or husband or being a better employee or employer. If this process is gone through I do not doubt that most of us will come to understand and to share these old words like contrite, miserable, and intolerable. Well, he may have a point. Uh, The language we use matters. Uh, Let's not fudge it. 
Let's pay attention to the language we use as we confess our sins in prayer. Finally, there's the, the cry of our confessions. The cry of confession. The cry is for this in this chapter. Turn away from your anger, verse 16. Listen to our pleas for mercy, verse 17. Look on your sanctuary with favor, verse 17. Open your eyes and see, verse 18. And then most clearly in verse 19, Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. And that last one is confession in a nutshell, isn't it? Listen. Forgive, hear, and act. Now Daniel is praying here into a specific historical moment in the life of Israel. But the pattern is a good one for confession. So for example, some here this evening may be struggling with an addiction of some kind. Maybe it's drugs or or alcohol or pornography or something else. So what do you do when you fail once again? when you've given in to the lure of the mouse button or the touch screen, or when that, that one last glass of wine has turned into six, or you cry out, Lord, listen to me. Don't ignore me. Listen to what I'm telling you. And Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. Have mercy. And you say, hear me. Or as some of the other translations put it, pay attention, Lord. You can't tell God to pay attention, can you? But all you're really saying is, Lord, will you look at this? Will you see this? Will you look at the predicament I'm in? Will you see just how messed up I am? And would you act? Would you do something? I need your help, Lord. Because I don't want to keep living like this. And you can pray that about any sin. You can pray it about the pornography you wish you didn't have in your life, your impatience, your overspending, your overeating, your greed, your selfishness, your anger. Come to God and say, listen, forgive, pay attention, and act to help me. Name it and claim it. Now that's a a phrase we probably associate with the prosperity gospel, the kind of thing that says, Lord, I I name a Ferrari Tesserosa on my front drive and I claim it from your generous hand. And now that is nonsense. Uh, But you name your sin and you claim forgiveness the Lord offers. That is the right kind of name it and claim it. And you claim God's mercy and grace, not only to forgive, but to help you change as well. And Daniel helps us to see the the basis of our cry for help too. He doesn't just show us what we should be asking God for, but he, he shows us why we should. Look again at verse 16. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem. And in verse 15, he reminds the Lord of their history. Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He's saying, Lord, forgive Lord, you're mighty and you've always been righteous and you're going to be again. That's why it's good to to know our Bibles and a little bit of church history because we can come to God in prayer and say, Lord, remember how you treated David? David who had wronged you with murder and adultery. Remember how you forgave Peter 
even though he had denied you. Lord, I know you are a forgiving God. And Daniel is very clear in verse 18 that we contribute nothing to God's forgiveness. He says, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. There's nothing in us that means we, we somehow deserve forgiveness or that God somehow owes it to us to forgive us. It is all of his grace. Now, most of us understand that. Yes, I know I cannot earn my salvation. But do you realize, when you're confessing, that it's not because of the intensity of our emotion over our sin that God forgives us? It's not because you flogged yourself for two weeks and made yourself miserable that God forgives you? It's not because you feel absolutely terrible and you hate yourself that God will listen to you? Daniel doesn't plead any of that when he comes to God. He just pleads his mercy to forgive. You see, our appeal in any prayer of confession is to the character of God to forgive, not to the character of our own heart or our emotions. Now, as we we close this evening, I'd like us to realize that God has a vested interest in forgiving us. And you can see that in verse 19. O Lord, listen, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hear and act for your sake, O my God. Do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. And see, that is for your sake, Daniel cries out for forgiveness. God receives glory when he pardons miserable offenders by the blood of his son. God's name is magnified and when he helps those who are called by his name. As he forgives, so he is glorified. So remember that when you next think, no, I can't do it this time. I swore countless times that I would not do this again, and I did it. God can't forgive me anymore. No, God will do it. If not for your sake, then for his own sake, the sake of his own name, because you bear the name of Christian. You bear the name of his son and when you pray Lord listen forgive pay attention and act to help me he will do it let's pray Lord we come before you now uh, and ask for your help as we pray and confess our sin. Father, in just a a moment of silence, we lift up to you those things which were in our minds as we're thinking about confession. Those sins that seem to beset us. Those things which we think we've exhausted your forgiveness on. And we lift them up to you now. Lord, see the misery those things cause us. Forgive us and help us, we pray. Amen.